Hey everyone, it's the Colorful Plates Podcast for January 28th, 2019. I'm Brian Denton, and today we have a full episode for you, diving into the world of fresh produce and how it affects the kitchens of North America. With a few days left until a highly contentious Super Bowl, I see you New Orleans Saints fans. We talked to the world's largest grower of the most consumed produce on Super Bowl Sunday about where supplies currently are. Austin speaks to the wildly creative chef duo behind some amazing pop-up restaurants and craft food, including the very popular West Nosh Oak, about how they get their customers to try new foods. And finally, we hear from Annie Nichols, who heads up the local farm grant program, Cultivating Change, about how small family farms are benefiting in more ways than just financially through the program. First, a quick look at what is happening in the growing fields during the last week of January. Table grapes are having a tough go currently with red and green grapes in extremely limited supply. The shortage is expected to last for about three weeks. Cherries are also limited as the import season is ending and domestic harvest is four to six weeks from ramping up. Eastern vegetables coming out of Florida from eggplant to bell peppers to squash are still very tight and may have scarring and other discoloration from winter storms in Florida growing regions. Cucumbers, however, are starting to be brought in more steadily from Honduras and Mexico, alleviating their previously tight market. With days to go before the much-vaunted strawberry poll for Valentine's Day, we're hearing that things in a limited strawberry market in California are starting to turn around just in time. Florida still stays limited, with product from Mexico supplementing those two tough regions over the past few weeks. In good news, citrus, apples, potatoes, onions, and most everything coming out of Yuma is looking good. Knock on proverbial wood. And I know you're out there mocking my superstitions, but hey, in fresh produce, we hedge our bets between weather, the labor market, even the occasional government shutdown can send unneeded tremors into the marketplace. For a further look at commodities that are in high demand, Jamie spoke with Senior Director of Business Development at Mission Produce, Patrick Cortez, about how they've rebounded from the Mexican avocado strike and what to expect going to the Super Bowl and beyond. Well, we're gearing up for Super Bowl. It's that time of the year. And uh, as, as everybody is well aware, we had a strike uh, back in Q4 of last year that really was a big disruption. But since that strike, it's actually been a very good free flow of fruit. Mexico has a big crop. They still have to get off the tree. And uh, we have seen a lot of stable harvesting, a lot of stable costing, and it's been really good. It's been good for all sectors of the business, retail, food service, wholesale. And we've actually had record harvest in Mexico back-to-back weeks in lead-up of the Super Bowl. So we're actually very excited about where it is. The, the hope is we can instill confidence back in the entire industry. We need to instill confidence back in ourselves, the, the, the grower, packer, shipper. And uh, as long as we can continue this, this free flow, we can do and focus on what we want to which is to continue to grow the category. Everybody loves avocados. It's the hot commodity right now in produce. And uh, all we want to do is to continue to, to grow that category uh, as much as we can, and, and we can't do it if we don't have stability. So we've had that uh, so far to start off 2019, which has been fantastic. Uh, you'll see really big retail promotions for Super Bowl, which is good. As everybody knows, that's the largest holiday we have in our commodity. And, and so far, we're just plugging away and, Mission continues to to lead the way when it when it comes to that. Tell me a little bit how the strike was solved. I guess how how did you guys work around that, and how did how did it end up okay? Basically, how did you guys work around it? That's a really good question. Uh, there there has been a lot of that asked, and depending on who you ask, you get a different answer. 
And there were a list of demands um, for the strike or during the strike that that a small faction of growers had. And to be honest with you, it was very vague on what those demands were. When this happened in 2016, there were a clear list of demands. Um, and we didn't really have that this go around. And so it went on for the better part of two and a half weeks. And when all you do are avocados, it can cause some consternation. It did for us. I mean, we, we have thousands of employees down in Mexico at our pack houses that had nothing to do. Same with our, our corporate office in Oxnard. And um, how it got resolved, it's very vague and nebulous. It, it just kind of dissolved. Um, there was a lot of back and forth, and, and, and finally, I think it just cooler heads prevailed. And I think a lot of it, too, was more than 90% of the growers wanted to harvest. There's a lot of fruit on the tree. And at some point, even though with avocados you can manipulate the crop and, and, and you can hold the fruit for sometimes up to 12 months, which a lot of people don't know that about avocados, um, you have the ability to say, well, I don't like your price, so I'm going to wait a little bit. Well, there's a point where you can't do that anymore, and there is a point where you actually stress the tree, and as farmers, you know, if you want to have a crop next year, you've got to get the fruit off the tree so that the tree can have nutrients for the next set. And so I think, I think by and large, it was more just the need to farm uh, than it was anything else because we came out of the strike with real stability, both in the cost we're paying for the fruit and, uh, and the amount of harvest that was allowed to take place. I, for one, watched the game for the commercials and as something for my eyes to do while I'm eating chips and guac. Thanks to Patrick for joining us. Patrick, overnight me a lug of avocados when you get a minute. And yes, a, a box of avocados is called a lug because in that industry, you think outside the lug. I'm sorry you had to hear that. Austin spoke to Gabriel and Marcus Dionda about their pop-up restaurant business and how they're collaborating with fellow chefs. One of the things that we started doing pretty early on was doing the pop-up dinners here, and we would use one of our days off. We haven't really seen it too much in Lodi. It's huge in the Bay Area. I know it's big up in Sac. Just where, like, the culinary scene is, you know, really moving. But we started doing pop-ups here where we, you know, we allowed our chefs to come up with something that, you know, people are not getting around here. Making it a culinary experience, it was really to kind of, like, open up people's eyes to what they're missing and bring that here and let chefs collaborate. We had another chef come in and they did a whole hog roast. They cooked the whole thing, brought it out, carved it. It's just an experience for people to see like, oh man, that's where that piece of support comes from. One other trend I really see happening right now is just craft food in general. I think people are appreciating it more. And with Instagram and with social media, we have these like food bloggers and influencers who love to frequent our restaurant and they're able to put things out there for us. And so what we're seeing is like, hey, all we have to do is focus on our quality and our presentation and making sure our guests are happy. That added bonus comes with it. And finally, Jamie reached out to Annie Nichols, the sustainability manager for ProAct, who administrates the Cultivating Change grant program, the local farm grant program we've been sharing with you these past couple of weeks. Annie shared a little bit about the differences between the panel review and the popular vote. She talked about some of the grants that have benefited local farms in the past number of years. But she started by sharing about why Cultivating Change was started and the heartbeat behind it. The, the reason's really twofold. Um, the first is it's, it's good for our business. We, um, at the end of the year, we are looking at how many local packages we're buying. So if our local farms can grow and produce more produce, um, that's great for our distributors um, at ProLux. 
So that's one of the reasons. The second reason is we just want to support our local farms. It, it builds our relationship with them. The local farms, um, a lot of times the, the projects that they get funded um, are then going back to putting money back into the farmer's pocket. So, for instance, we had a farm a couple years ago in Texas they get a ton of rain, and so they uh, applied for a rainwater conservation system, um, which takes the rainfall. Um, anyone out here in California would know we uh, desperately need all the water to get and to preserve that water. Um, and so these Texan farmers, they did this really cool project, and they saved thousands of dollars a year just on not pulling water from the municipal system. Last year, we got to go out to another farm in Texas, Reeves Family Farm, um, who bought refrigerated uh, truck, which is great for them. They're now um, able to deliver fresher produce to our partner, Hardee's, um, and then they can support their local community and, and ship that, uh, that fresh product to other community markets as well. What's really, what's really great about cultivating change is we have two ways to decide on our winners. A lot of times people don't realize that we have both the popular vote and the panel review. So on the popular vote, it's big on our website. Everyone's seeing it. Everyone's getting to vote and um, cast their opinion on who should win. But then we also have a panel of judges. So these include um, Tom Permateo, who is the president of the Green Business Bureau, as well as Deb Friedel, who is the director of sustainability at Delaware North. So these experts in our field that are that get to then decide on the merit of the farm and the application, and that is a way that we can go through and actually, you know, read through the grants, see who the most deserving is, um, and then award that money accordingly. Thanks, Annie, for sharing that with us. This is the last week to vote for deserving farms. Maybe it's the farm that allows you to serve fresh, hydroponically grown microgreens in the dead of winter or a farm whose organically grown strawberries brighten up your menu during the summer months. Visit cultivatingchange.org, read the stories, and vote for the most deserving farms. Before we go, we always appreciate those that rate, review, and recommend us. For everyone who just mooches, we don't mind you either, but click over to your podcasting application and give us a rating so that others can find us. Have a great week. Go Rams, and of course, stay fresh. Stay fresh.